So as we dive in today, my name is Terry Pierce. I have the wonderful privilege of pastoring most of you uh, and uh, here at Connect Church for the last 19 plus years. And we are so glad that you guys are here today. Two weeks ago, we had a little bit of a big deal, Brother Steve, and it was called Easter. And two weeks ago, uh, we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ here uh, in service, three services. We had over 500 folks that came to honor Jesus Christ. And what we declared that day, what we were able to biblically prove is that Jesus Christ arose from the grave, he is alive, he reigns in glory with the Father today, and because of that reign that he does with the glory of the Father, you and I have the privilege to reign with him, and so we helped you understand what that looks like a little bit in living your life under and in the love reigns of your life every single day. Last Sunday, we had our International Missions Director, Clint Morgan, did a fantastic job of delivering a message to you guys about how love reigns in our mission, and we were able to talk to you about how God's love uh, simply reaches a global vision uh, to all around the world. Today, today is the day though, probably my favorite sermon in this series, and we're going to share with you this morning based upon the fact that Jesus has risen from the grave, his love does reign, and today we're going to talk to you about how God's love reigns over our past. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to pull out a really powerful paragraph that God has taught me so much this week uh, in going back over this again. And here's one of the things that I've learned. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, we do not have to be controlled by the mistakes or the miscues that happened a long time ago. Let me read that statement again to you guys. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, you and I, and I want you to get this mindset down as, you, as we get here, let everything else fade away. Because of the cross, we do not have to be controlled by our mistakes or our miscues that happened a long time ago. Let me illustrate it to you this way. I want you to wrap your mind really into this message this morning. So uh, I'm in Mississippi, and I don't have to talk to you guys very long at all till I get your hearts, your feelings, all of that on the table. When I talk to you about sports failures, and I talk to you about the fact that we haven't won a championship in how many decades, and I talk to you about the fact that we feel like sometimes that we're just cursed and we're never going to win, and it's every year. Uh, matter of fact, this is what I hear every fall in this state, is I hear whether you're a rebel or whether you're a land shark or whether you're a bulldog nation, whatever it is, this is what I hear every year. You know what, preacher? Tell you what, we're not going to win a championship, but if we, if we get a 10-win season, we've had a good year. And so we, we just understand uh, that there's limitations to what we're going to aspire to. But let me uh, give you one that will make you feel better about uh, the, the Sharks and the Bulldogs, all right? So uh, in 1917, a guy by the name of Henry Frazese made the absolute dumbest baseball decision of all time. In 1917, this moron, director of baseball operations of the Boston Red Sox, looked at an up-and-coming star of their team and said, this guy is never going to last. He is never going to be any good. And the idiot traded Babe Ruth 
to the New York Yankees in 1917, and he said he will never make it, and it will be a failed prospect. The greatest baseball player of all time. And for 86 years, Boston Red Sox fans bemoaned the curse of the Bambino. Uh, you know, baseball fans know what I'm talking about. We will never win. Well, it sounded worse than you guys here in Mississippi with your football. We're never going to win. We're cursed. We're never going to be good enough. We're never going to win because our owner traded the greatest baseball player to our dreaded rivals, the New York Yankees, and the fans bemoaned that every year up until 2004. For 86 years, they felt like they were cursed because of mistake that was made in their past. And, in very, and I get it. Because I'm a Chicago Bears fan. <laughs> okay, I'm the only one. So I'm a Chicago Bears fan, and I totally relate to you State and, and Ole Miss fans. We won a championship in 1985. <laughs> it was the greatest football team, bar none, that ever played in one season Walter Payton, Mississippi boy, greatest player of all time. We won the greatest team, the greatest season ever in 1985, and that's all we got. Do you know for the last 35 years, 35 seasons since then, we have had 34 starting quarterbacks. We would be better off if we went to the, to the football booth and pulled out a fat old Terry Bradshaw and brought him back onto the field uh, at 65 than we would with what we current. So I totally understand the curse of not being able to, to win and move forward. But here's the thing. Not only do we as fans and sports fans feel the frustration and the pressure of past wrong decisions, but it also translates into where you're sitting at this morning. The truth of the matter is, some of the decisions you've made in your past, are you hearing me this morning? Some of the decisions you've made in your past are defining who you are today. They're destroying the possibility for you and your kids and grandkids to have a future. Some of them are just mistakes, and some of them are legacy-type failures that continue to curse your present as well as your future. You need to know this morning, at the very outset, that this book is filled from cover to cover with people who made terrible, horrible choices in their life, huge mistakes in their life. But one day, one day, Mike, they had an encounter with a person by the name of Jesus Christ. And no matter how dark their decisions were, no matter how much they had went down into that hole, Jesus Christ, in that relationship with them, was able to pick them up out of that hole, and he was able to change the destiny and course of their life. And you need to know this morning that this book is filled with people who understand the pain that you feel here today. They experience the transformation of the cross of Jesus Christ, his triumphant resurrection, and to know what it means to be forgiven. As some of you are sitting here, and I know your skepticism, I are one of your kind of people. You're skeptical. You live in sarcasm. I'm with you. And so you're sitting there going, you know, who are you? You wear a nice little Connect Church shirt logo, and, you know, you've been probably a preacher since you were born, and you've never had any problems, and blah, 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 and you're a moron if you think that. And so you have no idea 
where Blinn and I came from. First of all, let me identify something to you because a lot of you, we got a lot of new folks here, they don't know who I am. So let me just really quickly identify this part of the story. What you need to know is that I have no business being on this stage today. If you knew where I came from, I grew up in a legalistic Baptist, little free will Baptist church where we were self-righteous and we played the game and yet in our home was a living hell at times and all of the things that were going on, the hypocrisy and all of that, I went through all of those kind of things. Belen uh, grew up where she had no family that went to church, had no desire to go to church. They lived, I'm talking about family members and stuff on the edge of where they were not, you know, if you would have seen them coming in, you know how we used to judge people, you were going, ooh, that family shouldn't be in our church, uh, and, and all of those kind of things, and, and, and so, and God, and his providential craziness of how he does things, he allows us to come together, and then God says, I'm going to pick those two. I promise you, if, if, if back in the day, we were like the old traditional church, we would have said, oh, no, 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 they did not have the pedigree to grow up and become a pedigree this preacher and uh, certainly not a pastor's wife and guess what God said I don't care what anybody else thinks I don't care who they look at all I'm telling you is that I can transform Terry I can transform Belen and guess what for 30 plus years God Almighty has called us into the ministry no matter what anybody else thinks because it's not about our past it's about his righteousness and what he can do to change you. But let me take you one better for those of you that are going, well, you haven't been as deep as I have. You haven't been down as dark as I've been in my life. Man, I've done uh, terrible things. You have no idea, preacher. Let me tell you who wrote this paragraph. Let's just get over yourself. You're Billy Bad. Here's the dude that wrote this paragraph today. His name is the Apostle Paul. And guess what he did for a living? He killed Christians. So you're already feeling better about yourself? He killed thousands of people who came to church just like you because he wanted to stomp out Christianity. And honestly, he was really good at it. And then one day on this little dirt road called Damascus, he met a person by the name of Jesus Christ. And on that road to Damascus, Jesus transformed him and told him about a cross. He told him about a resurrection. He told him, he said, I don't care what you've been doing in your past. What I want to do is take you from a Christian killer to being one who glorifies God and raises up Christians. And that's exactly who wrote this text. So when we read this today, you get it in your John Brown head. This dude's been way worse than what you've ever been. He made worse mistakes than you've ever thought about making. And yet he wrote the holy text we're reading from today. This guy, he literally self-proclaims himself in the scriptures, and I quote, I, the apostle Paul, at the chiefest of sinners. He never got over being saved. We used to say that a lot around here. I need to get back to that. Uh, I'm just telling you, Lynn, you ought not ever, you ought not ever, ever get over being saved. And that's what the Apostle Paul tells us in our text today. I'm telling you, you do not have to be defined by your past. Paul says, take on the righteousness of God. Let's look at the text. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting the trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's what I'm preaching to you today. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you. Notice the urgency of Paul's writing here. I'm going to come to that in a minute. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, let me just tell you this morning, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, and you might not have really contemplated as much as you need to. Um, You need to know something this morning. We as Christians are really weird. Yeah, I'm talking about you, Ernie. I'm just talking about all of us in this room this morning as Christians, and and you need to know, and and I own it, I admit it, that we do things that are really, that the outside world thinks are really quirky, and they think that we're weird. You know, the problem is, is that we live in our little Bible bubble. I just made that up today. Isn't that good? Uh, write that down. Uh, we live in our little Bible bubble, and I say that really quick, bubble bubble. And so anyway, I'll probably say something I shouldn't, so let's just slow down with that. But anyway, uh, we live in our little church world. We come here to church, and we think that, you know, we all act alike, and we sing the songs that we understand. But have you ever thought about how the outside world views us? We forget that because we're just around our Bible bubble world, and we forget. You turn on the news tomorrow night, and you watch... And listen, as the evening news describes you as Christians, man, they don't get you. They say, you guys have got a different language. You talk with a different lingo. And uh, the media elites, man, they're, they're talking about how weird we are and how, you know, just all of this stuff. Here's what an old time, now this is back in the day. I'm talking about a classic Almost 100 years ago, preacher A.W. Tozer, one of the best. Any book you can get from him, you read it. Here's what he said, describing this weirdness of how we're viewed and what we really are. A real Christian, listen to this. This is what Tozer says, is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love, think about this, for one whom he's never seen. Okay, that's a little weird. He talks familiar, it gets weirder, Every day to someone he cannot see. Now, you with me? That is, you know, if you put that on the surface value, that's valid. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. Who thought of this? Empties himself in order to be full. I love that. Admits he is wrong so he can be declared right and is strongest when he is weakest. This quote's out there on the guest services desk for our connect groups tonight, so you don't have to get it all down. I'm just telling you, uh, and, and he describes who we are. Now, I repeat to you again, on the surface, it seems like we're a little strange. As a matter of fact, if you want to know how strange we are, you tune into the Connect Church podcast every week, and you're going to see a bunch of weirdos uh, every week on there, and so check that out. But the truth of the matter is, is that Paul was identifying with this weirdness, and so, and I'm building all this up because I want you to understand. Look with me in verse 17. Now, notice what he says in the text. He begins with, therefore. Now, for all of you English grammar people, 
that I irritate every single week with my use of speech. Uh, the, uh, you want to see my writings. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, every anybody with a basic English knowledge knows that when you start a paragraph with therefore, what are you leading into? You're saying, based upon all the evidence, the argument that I've made in the preceding paragraphs, therefore, this is what you need to do with it. When you see a therefore in scripture, this is a great Bible study thing with your hear journals, you pause and go, okay, what have we been saying up to this point? And so Paul is making the argument based upon therefore. He said, I want you to understand two things about Jesus. So in verses 1 through 16, and this is where we get really real here this morning, based on verses 1 through 16, the therefore, here's what Paul has come to the conclusion. You can identify Jesus in two words, and they're two words that we have not remembered. Write it down. He is judge and he is savior. Jesus is equally judge and savior. And that's significant. And this is going to lead Paul to passionately write verse 17 through 21 because he came to the conclusion of understanding what the scriptures teach us. The only way to be reconciled to a holy God is that we understand both. Jesus is judge of every man, and yet he also longs to save us. You know, in the modern church today, always has been marked all down throughout the ages, we love to sing and emphasize, James, oh, Jesus is my Savior, praise God. A man, God so loved the world. Man, I love to sing about Jesus being my Savior. Y'all got that down? We good with Jesus as our Savior. I want to I come to church and feel better about myself. Tell me about the Savior. But you know what we really don't like? We're not so keen and so really bad on Jesus as judge. Well, who come up with that idea? We don't like to think about that. But you, the reason you guys are struggling with your past, or you listening to me this morning, the reason your past continues to plague you is because you keep just wanting to feel better. You, you've got this open wound of sin, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute. You've got this sin in your life, and, and you just keep putting salve on it. And the reason you can't get healed from your past is because you just want Jesus to miraculously take away the pain until you understand, judge and the confession of sin, you can never get the healing from your pain. He is judge, and he is savior, both at the same time. <laughs> Let me illustrate to you this way. Remember all of the reality shows of the 90s when, for whatever reason, we were stupidly bored with television? And remember all of the... Uh, Idiot shows where they were fighting on stage, and you know who was the who was the moron from Chicago? That was just a uh, I don't remember his name, but anyway, uh, do you remember Judge Judy? Anybody in here remember Judge Judy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I could see uh, your favorite. I could see Tanner totally loving Judge Judy. That, that's awesome. Uh, uh, actually, she was mine too. And I'm going to be really careful here, but I love Judge Judy because she represented some women that I know that are very strong personalities. <laughs> so, so, uh, that was good. I did really good there. Anyway, and uh, Judge Judy was matter of fact, and, uh, uh, and so uh, she was matter of fact, and what, what happened in the Judge Judy is that people would come to 
her with their problems. And on one side, you'd have, you know, the pres- they would make their argument, and, they would, and then the other side would make their argument. You notice, if you ever watched Judge Judy, and this is why I loved her show, sh- she was not a lovey-feely, touchy, you know, so oh, let's just make it. You all, when you walk out of here, I want you to hold hands, and we can all just walk out of here in peace. Oh, flip, no. This is why Tanner loved her. Judge Judy, <laughs> yes, yes, and so Tanner just scared the daylights out of that whole section. Anyway, uh, so, so we, we got a Baptist that had the spirit. Anyway, uh, and so uh, so Judge Judy, <laughs> he gets excited about that. Uh, anyway, so Judge Judy, she didn't care how you felt. Judge Judy was only worried about the law. Judge Judy came in and said, "You know what." This is the way it is. This is what it is. And the people would all raise their... You can remember how the show went in. Well, th- I don't agree with you. I don't... Th- that was not fair to me. You hurt my feelings. And Judge Judy goes, I, can, I don't care. What I care about is the right decision to be made. This is right. This is wrong. You're not getting this. You're getting that. Get out of my court. And they left mad. And you all get so upset. I ain't going back to that church. That bald-headed preacher yells at me, and he makes me feel bad about myself, and so I'm not going back there. You don't come to church to feel better about the sorry past mistakes that you've made. You come to church to meet a judge that you're going to one day stand and give an account from those mistakes unless you confess your sorry, terrible mistakes and ask Jesus to forgive you. He is judge and he is Savior. And so Paul writes passionately out of a fear of God and understanding who he is. And he says, I need you guys to realize God's goal, hear me this morning, I don't have this on the screen, and some of you are not going to like it. You can go down to the church and hear something that'll make you feel better, but it's not going to make you better. God's goal is not to make everyone happy. Let that sink in. I am never coming back to this church. God's goal is not to make everyone happy. As a matter of fact, he gets a lot of complaints about it. Do you know what happens every single week? And I'm talking about now my church family. You all complain, complain, y'all complain. You all, y'all, I don't speak for a living. Uh, you, all, <laughs> you all complain and bellyache every single week. Some of you are really good about doing it every day. You're not happy with God. Oh, you don't use those kind of terms because you know better. But you, you oh, I don't like the church. I don't like Brother Terry. Blah, 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 blah. You don't like anything. Well, we're sick of it. And so is God. You're complaining every single day. What you're really mad about is that God hasn't given you the life to make you happy. God never promised to make you happy. What he did was promise to transform you from your sin and take you to an eternal home where you will be happy one day. But John Brown get through this life. He promises to walk with you through the pain and the agony of this life. And trust me, you don't want to stand before him as judge. So how do we take this judge and savior concept of Jesus? And how does it impact, Brother Terry, practically my past mistakes?
or maybe even what others have done to you. Get out your notes, and here's what we're going to share with you this morning. Number one, principle number one, takeaway, is our wrongness is replaced by God's righteousness. Oh, this is good. What was Paul teaching in our text today? Our wrongness is replaced by God's righteousness. An incredible exchange takes place on the cross of Calvary. Jesus takes our wrong way of living, and he gives us the righteousness of God. Now, if you take this, the etymology of this word righteousness here, if you pull that out and you dissect it, here's what it means in the original language. Oh, and this is good. Uh, we, we sing about and we talk about the righteousness of God, but I'm convinced that we've never really let it, it take from our mind to our heart. Here's what it means. You ready? The righteousness of God means I'm approved by God. Let that sink in for just a second. When he says that Terry you are righteous. That means I'm approved by God. Anybody in here want to beat yourself up? Anybody in here feel like from day to day that you're not worthy? Anybody in here keep making the same excuses about, you know, well, you know, I just, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you, who cares what anybody else thinks about you when God Almighty says you are approved by me because of my son Jesus? The righteousness of God. Y'all want to be shouting all over this place right now. And here's what Paul says at like verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is how you get approved. He is a new creation. Isn't that amazing? So here's how he looks at his grant. He says, because of my son Jesus, your past no longer has to define you in the present nor mark what your future is going to be. I have made you, Jesus has made you approved in God's image. Now why in the world are you all carrying your past around with you? He has approved you. He has approved you. He has approved you. You are a new creation in Christ. Why are we living like we're not? Our wrongness is replaced by God's righteousness. Would you guys like to dig a little bit deeper? Good, thank you, because that's where we're going to go. So let's, let's dive into this verse a little bit more profound. I never got this down before, Tanner. This is first, you know, I was reading through the commentators and just going through it hours. And, and, and so here's what that Paul is talking about. And, and I, 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 you're all not going to get as excited about it as I do, but I got goosebumps. This, this reference here in verse 17 is referring to Isaiah 65, 17. Here's what happens in Isaiah 65, 17. The old prophet is preaching to the nation of Israel about their rebellion. And he says, I want to tell you that there's going to come a Messiah. And that Messiah is going to come, Cheryl, and he's going to change our past and bring in the new. You're tracking with me now? And what he says is, is he, says, he takes them back to Genesis in Isaiah 65. And he says, oh, back in Genesis, God created a perfect heaven and earth. Y'all with me in the Garden of Eden? But then Genesis 3 comes along, and oh, Satan comes, and he screws everything up. Satan curses the world, and we fall into it, and we've been cursed ever since. But I got a news for you. The world is not going to stay cursed, because one day there's coming one who is, un who is worthy beyond measure. His name is Jesus Christ, and Jesus is going to take the old cursed world, and he's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to go to reign with him forever and ever. 
And he says to us, amen. That's worth getting happy about. It's okay for Baptists to clap and enjoy yourself. He says to us, the old, the wrongness has become righteous and become new. But then he takes it a step further. And he says, I want you to understand, Jesus replaces your wrongness with God's righteousness. Here's how Dr. Scott Hoffman says it in his commentary. A great simplistic answer to this. On the cross, Christ takes on their sin. Because of the cross, you and I, they take on God's righteousness. So what does that really mean? You ready, Martin? This is my favorite part of this study. Paul is alluding to and making the argument. So blow your mind. In Isaiah 65, back in the day, the old prophet said, there's coming to one who's going to be a great high priest that is going to blow your mind. Because the Jews understood, and for those of you that are seekers that have never really been in church, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to be approved righteous before God, <laughs> this is the way it worked before Jesus and the resurrection. is once a year, you would go to the temple, and a sacrifice by a holy priest who would purify himself would go into the Holy of Holies he would purify himself, make himself worthy, and then he would take a perfect lamb and he would sacrifice the blood of that lamb on an altar and then that blood of that lamb would be spread and your sins would be forgiven for a year. But you know what, Colton? You had to go back every year. It was insufficient to cover you and your family's sins. And every year, you would come back and another sacrifice and another sacrifice would have to be done to cover your sins. But that was the old. And now with the new, Jesus Christ has come. And not only is he the perfect high priest, not only did he tear down the, the veil in the temple, Tony, he entered into the Holy of Holies for the once and final time. But not only did he do that, not only did he become the perfect lamb, that was, his blood was shed, that now we don't have to go back every year. Are you tracking with me now? Because I'm telling you, we're fixing to get there. Now, you and I, every single day of our life, get the chance to enter into the Holy of Holies. We have become the high priest in Jesus Christ and every day I get a chance to enter into the presence of God Almighty somebody say amen whoa I'm telling you that's what it means to be righteous Marie approved by God that you and I enter in daily to the holy of holies and the presence of God amen are you with me this morning and so Paul says, it's time. It's time to trade in your past, the wrongness, and let it be replaced with the righteousness of God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you get the meaning of the verse now? How many of you quoted that over the years? Do you not just want to go back and just apologize? Wow, we have so cheapened that verse. 
and quoted it so many times. Does it not take on more significance? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he truly is a new creation. Amen. What a powerful truth. But here's the rub. For those of you who say, I want the righteousness of Christ, but you will not confess your sins. You've got bitterness. You've got trash in your life. You, you, you continually want to be in control, and yet you come to church. I got emails. I got texts this week. Um, thank you guys for that. I appreciate it. And uh, folks, you know, man, preacher, you've, you offended me. Man, I, I want to be able to, when you tell us that, you know, man, you know, if you're not going to come here and get serious with God, then you're wasting your time. Preacher, that just bothers me because I come to church because I'm hurting and I want to feel better about myself. Well, here's the problem with your little self. And if I offend you, okay, I'm live with it because I would rather you get right with God than die and go to an everlasting hell. And the truth of the matter is, let me just explain it. So let me set it up. So uh, this past Wednesday night, we had a little church here in the house. Uh, We've been doing a Bible study with Dr. Tony Evans. And uh, just to let you know for our guests and stuff, Dr. Tony Evans is probably one of the greatest preachers. Our people love him way better than me, and I can't compete with that. Anyway, plus he wears really cool suits. But anyway, and Dr. Tony Evans was, uh, they're dope. But anyway, and so uh, so Tony Evans was, uh, was, you know, preaching. He was teaching about, and he gave this great illustration about, this whole thing of righteousness and he said what you're not understanding is how to do practical righteousness what I've defined for you today in verse 17 is our positional righteousness in a theological term and you know what most everybody in here has heard that you agree with it yeah we just don't live it the problem is, is we're not practicing righteousness we understand our position but here's the problem with the practice Dr. Tony Evans gave a great illustration. He said, um, when you have trash in your house, this is a great one for all of you that are living here that are in our house this morning, is take out your trash. Because if you leave the trash in your house, you know what it attracts? Yeah, go ahead and say it. Roaches. When you don't take out the trash, you listen to me, husbands? When you don't take out the trash, the reason she yells and belly aches all the time, you listen to me, teenagers, take out the trash, Ethan. Uh, and so when you don't take out the trash, you attract roaches and ants and all other kind of critters, and they come into your house, and it's nasty. Nobody wants to be living in a nasty house with roaches. Take out the John Brown trash, and they're going to leave. Because what, what you're doing is you're inviting roaches to feed off of the trash that's in your house. And you're doing the exact same thing when you hold on to your bitterness, when you don't humble yourself and become obedient to what God is telling you you need to give up in your life, when you hold on to your little pet sins. You realize, I would rather stay on my phone than spend time with my family. That is trash. I would rather have my porn addiction than to spend time getting rid of it, but I want to go to church and feel good about myself. That's trash. And when you allow... Whatever is in your attitude, whatever is in your thinking, when you allow the trash to stay in your house and you don't allow God to clean it up, then all you're doing is inviting demons, Dr. Evans said, into your life. And you wonder why you're miserable and you're unhappy and your family and nothing's going right. You want to know why? Because you're inviting demons to mull around in your heart and in your thinking and they're ruining everything about your life. 
it's time. It's time to let go of the wrongness and become the new creation of his righteousness in your life to confess it. And the Apostle Paul is making the argument that you can't just want the good stuff. You've got to allow Christ to throw out the old and to bring in the new. You want a better life? Look at me this morning. Do you want a better life? Are you with me this morning? Do you want a better life? Then confess your sins to him. It's not rocket science. You want a better life? Then tell him about the trash that he already knows is there. You've got to ask God to cleanse it and take it out. Which leads us to principle number two. Out with the old and in with the new. Paul takes his readers to the next obvious conclusion of love reigning over our past. God loves to take out the old and bring in the new. Look what he says in the latter part of verse 17. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You continue to hang on to your past sins. You're afraid to give them up. Look at me this morning. You know what some of y'all's biggest weakness is? It's pride. Let me just talk to you, church. If I haven't offended you, let me try here. You're unwilling because of your arrogance, because of your stubbornness, because, and you know what your thought is? What will people think if I admit that I've been doing Christianity and church wrong all these years? Let me tell you, as a former legalist, I pastored and preached and led my family wrong for years and decades. I thought I was doing the right thing, but the greatest day of liberation was when I realized it's not about me impressing what other people think or living up to some free will Baptist stupid standard or what you guys think I should be as a preacher or not should be as a preacher, should what I should wear or not wear as a preacher. What I would rather care about is the fact that when people walk into this church that they don't feel like that I have to wear a three-piece suit to make them feel like that they've somehow got to dress up to be in here. I would rather them walk into here and say, you know what, that preacher, those people in that church, They don't care about what I wore into this building. What they care about is me. They care about if I'm poor, then I'm good enough to come into this church without having to put on a dress, without having to put on a suit. I'm not putting on a dress for you. And I'm just telling you, uh, I'm not trying. so that's not in my notes, I promise you. Uh, I'm not trying to impress you with what I wear. What I want you to know, I promise you that wasn't in my notes. Don't even say a word, Bert. So I'm just telling you, uh, I am not worried about what other people think because out with the old and in with the new. And what he's simply saying to you and I today, and this is what I've learned, and I want you to write this down. I have learned to fear God in his judgment more than I love my sin. I'm telling you, that's it right there. This is what Paul's making the argument for. Write it down. I have learned to fear God and his judgment. Who is he? He's judge, chop, and he is savior. I've learned to fear God and his judgment more than I love my sin. I don't care what other people think. I'm giving it up to follow him. Do you really stand before God one day? with your little pet sin and the dirtiness in your life, you realize you are going to stand before a holy God one day. And here's, we're going to wrap all this up. 
<clears throat> Let me illustrate to you this way. Imagine you were playing the lottery. And uh, just imagine, because you're Baptist, and we, we don't do that. And so you're playing the lottery, and uh, you've got your little card out and your numbers, and you're going through your numbers, and you know how you, I mean, how you theoretically do it. <laughs> Stop it. Do not email me on that. Do not email me. And so you've got your little card out, and you're going through your numbers, and... Uh, <laughs> So, I just what I've learned from some of y'all. Anyway, I, and so, so you got your number from the non-church. Anyway, so you got your card out and you're going through your numbers. And all of a sudden, that little girl comes on the screen at the news night and, you know, she's got the Powerball. And, you know, guess what? If you get all your six numbers tonight, you're going to win 15 trillion zillion dollars. And so you're, yeah, you know, like you're going to do that. And anyway, and all of a sudden, they start reading off the numbers. And whoo, you get excited more than you have today. And you get excited, and the first number comes up on the card, and whoo, yeah, that's my number. The second number folds on there. Whoo, yeah, I got two so far. Third one rolls out. Oh, wait, wait, hey, hey. The fourth one hits, and you got all four. At that point, you're yelling, Babe, get in here now! Done hit on four numbers. She's getting ready to read number five. We're four for four. She hits number five. Doggone dang. We got five out of five. She's getting ready to announce. If she says my next number, I'm telling you, we're hitting the moon. And, of course, we're going to tie to the church first. Uh, and so all that money. And so, hey, don't you judge me. Hey, we can sanctify the devil's money. And so I'm just telling you. And so you make sure. So anyway, so <laughs> oh, my gosh, I can't believe I said that. So anyway, so here's the thing. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, so all of a sudden, and you've got number seven, and she starts out with an S, and you're like, ah, you got to be kidding me. And she goes, six. Oh, you know what's going to happen to you that week? You missed it by one number. It is a syllable, six to seven. You were that close to being a gazillionaire. And so every time you write out a bill that month, Hector, that week, you're just mad as a wet hen because, man, I shouldn't even have to be paying that if she would have read a seven. And you get mad all week long and you go to fill up your tank and I shouldn't have to be paying for it because I should, I should be a gazillionaire and blah, blah, blah. And you're mad all week long because you were this close to having all your dreams come true. And Paul's making the argument emphatically and passionately because he fears the judgment of God. And he says to the Corinthian church, what a terrible thing it will be to stand before a living God one day. And what God will do at the judgment is he's going to show you if you would have allowed him, if you would have given up your trash, you would have given up your addictions and your attitude if you would have allowed him to cleanse your house and your life and your heart. He's going to show you at the judgment what you could have had, what you could have had, and then he's going to hand it to the person behind you. Ladies and gentlemen, he is judge and he is savior. And it is time today that we understand how much he is offering us in his righteousness. And when you do, you're going to want to share it. Principle number three is what do we do with this? 
the Apostle Paul says that we give away God's love. We give it away. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God made his appeal, making his, his appeal through us. Do you know what our church is living out at Connect Church? We believe that he is judge and he is savior. And the only way a, a world can be saved is for us to give it away. You know what we did last two weeks, Brother Bob? We gave away 35,000 eggs at Veterans Park, City Park, for free. We didn't ask for donations. We didn't do any fundraising or pancake syrups or anything else. We literally said to our community, especially to the needy and to the poor in our community, you come out with your family in the midst of this COVID crap and all this stuff that's going on, and I promise you, we're going to love on you. And what we shared with them was not only giving away 35,000 eggs to about 1,500, maybe 2,000 people that were there at the park that day, but we were to let them know that God loves them, and we told them the story of Jesus raising from the dead could take away their past and give them hope and, and love for a future. But not only did we do that, yesterday we had a, one of our connect groups that meets on Sunday nights, and they were out there at the free clinic. They were out there to the folks who can't afford to get medical health care, and they were on Main Street. And Connect Church was out there with one of our small groups, and they were there feeding them and giving them a free breakfast and just saying to them, man, we know that maybe times are tough, and we may know that you're going through a season, and maybe you're worried and embarrassed because you have to show up at the free clinic. No, you, you need to know this, that Connect Church believes in you. We don't care how and and down you are, how difficult your life is. You are valuable. God has made you for a plan. God has made you for a purpose. And we are reaffirming that God wants to love on you. And we were there just to let them know. Yeah, to our last week, we had another connect group that brought in uh, the, the foster kids from the Tupelo Children's Mansion. And they had a graduation banquet for them. And man, you should have seen those kids walk across this stage and be celebrated because maybe their families have rejected them. Maybe whatever's happened in their life. But Connect Church was pouring into those foster kids and saying to you, no, you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And I don't care what your past is. I don't care who your parents were. It doesn't have to define your future, Tupelo Children's Mansion. You got to know there is a God who wants to pour his righteousness into you. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, this is what Christ has called us to do. He has called us to proclaim, listen, let go of your past and become a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old preacher, Charles Spurgeon, preached a sermon in 1883, Bobby Nanny's favorite sermon, and the title of the message, and as I was studying this text today, I found this sermon in a commentary. In 1883, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, he preached a message entitled, Turn or Burn. And you know what he said in the message, Neil? He said, we're living in a generation in 1883 that they don't want to hear preaching anymore and they don't want to get real with discipleship. People just want to be told how to feel better about their trash. And he preaches in that message, and I read the sermon, Turn or Burn, and he argued the same message out of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that God, yes, he is merciful, Praise the God who loves us and wants to forgive us. He is our Savior. But this is what Charles Spurgeon said in his sermon. But what we have forgotten is that he is both judge and he is Savior. And then he finishes the message with this. The question, the question 
is which one do you want to meet today? Will you stand with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the truth. Father, as we get ready to sing this verse of invitation, we want to remind folks, and if you're here this morning, here's the question of the hour. Tanner's going to lead us in a verse of invitation. And let me ask you today, are you tired of carrying around your past? Man, some of you church members need to just step out right now, and you need to hit this altar today. How long are you going to carry the wrongness? Why are you going to continue to carry the wrongness that has happened to you and not choose today to become a new creation? God, I desire your righteousness. I want to be approved by God, and that's all that matters. Maybe you're here today, and you've never asked Jesus to clean out your heart and your life. Maybe you're a church member, and you've allowed a lot of trash to build up in your life. Your attitude, your pride, today's the day. You don't want to stand before God and have him show you one day what you, your kids, and your grandkids could have been if you would have chose his righteousness. As we sing a verse of invitation, would you allow God to save you? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 1030. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.